All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Jake Dunlap Show. We are very excited that you joined us. If you haven't tuned in, this is the show where we talk to celebrities, thought, and industry leaders to really discover their journey to success. I am super excited that you're joining us. This show is like no other. I can promise you that. You might laugh. You might cry, but you will definitely leave inspired and gain a whole new level of insight into those people that you follow, love, and admire. All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Jake Dunlap Show. I am, as usual, I mean, I guess I'm always excited, right? Or it's like, you know, why would I have someone on if I wasn't excited about it? But today's guest in particular um, has a, a true passion for basketball. Um, I grew up my entire life playing basketball, played basketball in high school, too. So I've got a special... You know what I got to do? I got to send you this link. They just made a documentary. I grew up in the 90s in Kansas City. And they just made a doc. This guy local made a documentary about '90s basketball in Kansas City. We had like Tyron Lue and a whole bunch of guys that played in the league, and oh, yeah. um, it was like a really special time. So I think you'll enjoy that too. So, awesome. um, uh, and, and he has extensive decades of experience as a coach and worked with some of the NBA's finest players, individuals. Uh, he's worked with Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Kobe, um, and now he's focused on taking a lot of what he's learned by looking at elite, elite athlete performance and working with companies and helping companies improve their organizational performance, uh, really pulling from you know, the lessons that we learn on the court are applicable off the court. And that's not just applicable for athletes, but for everybody. So everyone, please join me in welcoming a published author, world-class performance coach, and the trainer of the trainers, Alan Stein. Alan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jake, it's lovely to be with you, my friend. I've been looking forward to this since we put it on the calendar. Awesome, man. Well, me too. Me too. Like I said, we can talk about because yeah, you were yeah, you yeah. You were born like pretty similar to me. So like you grew up, there was something about like that nineties basketball. Like I don't know if like if that's like you know, if like you remember that, but at least where I grew up, because I know you grew up in DC and can't like we just had a lot of ballers. We had a lot of people who could play. Oh yeah, well I, I grew up in a suburb of uh, Washington D.C. I'm I'm in Gaithersburg, Maryland, and uh, the greater D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area has produced some really, really, really good players as well. And uh, yeah, certainly um, fell in love with the game in the in the '80s, and and that love has continued all the way through today. Yeah, man. Yeah, you've been in it. So so we're gonna go back in time. So we talked a little bit about it, but. I think your background is super interesting and you know how you've been able to take your passion, morph it into different things, find, you know, again, you know, find what you know, drives you in different ways to apply all that you've learned. And so I think it's going to be a great conversation. Um, and I'll try not to talk too much about Kansas City basketball in the 90s. Obviously, I've got, <laughs> I'm biased. Um, so so let's talk about it. So born in born, in, like you said, right outside of, of D.C., so again, what was kind of early childhood like? You know, like what are some of your, like your early memories? I know that your your parents were both elementary school teachers, so I can imagine that had like its own <laughs> its own additional layer. Yeah, it did. You know, I mean, a, a few things that I pulled immediately the, that my parents modeled for me. Uh, one was certainly the importance of education um, and the importance of pouring into youth and and really focusing on um, you know development. Uh, but I also saw firsthand from my parents how much they love their work, you know, which uh, I think most teachers 
get into teaching because they love helping young people uh, or maybe they really love the subject matter or, or the teaching craft, but it's a very altruistic profession. You know, no, no one gets into teaching uh, for the money. They do it for the love. And, and that was something, that was a seed that was planted with me uh, very early. Um, in, in, in actuality, I remember one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given as a young person was you need to find what you're pretty good at and find what you love to do and then find where those two things intersect. Uh, and for my entire life, and that is no exaggeration, from five years old all the way to 45 years old, basketball has been a part of that intersection. You know, as a youngster, that, that intersection was as a basketball player, uh, as a student athlete, both you know, at the youth level, the high school level, and then I was able to play in college. Uh, but then I went into being a basketball performance coach. So while that point of intersection moved a little bit, uh, it still involved the game of basketball. And, you know, now uh, since I've left the direct training space and I, I'm a keynote speaker, uh, many of the stories and lessons and strategies I share were perspectives that I learned from the game. And, you know, even to take it a step further, I'm now the proud father uh, of three young kids that all play basketball. So uh, basketball has been a part of that slightly moving dot uh, of intersection my entire life. And uh, for that, I'm incredibly grateful, you know, to be able to to make a living and build a life uh, around my first love, which was the game of basketball. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm immensely grateful for that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, I mean, like your kids have to play basketball, right? Like at least for a little bit. Like that would be my guess, right? <laughs> well, well like, you know what's interesting? At least, for, like, well, when I think back to my childhood, um, I was attracted to anything that was physically active. I mean, whether we were climbing trees or riding bikes or playing two-hand touch football, like if, if it would expend physical energy, I was in. I mean, I did BMX biking. I did martial arts. I did skateboarding. Played all of the traditional sports. Uh, break I heard break dancing too, though. Isn't that even right, even Alan? Break, break dancing was also mixed. part of that. Yeah, maybe? yeah. Even okay, that was yeah, that's mixed. what I heard. And and uh, you know, but basketball was always my main passion. So all of these different things that I tried, right. you know, I, I certainly loved and enjoyed. But basketball always was the first love. And and you know, as a father for my young children, um, you know, and for context, I have eleven year old twin sons and a nine year old daughter. Uh, my goal is just to expose them to as many different activities uh, and opportunities uh, as I can, and then we'll see what sticks with them. I mean, even though basketball has always been my love, I, I certainly don't force it on my kids, but it's kind of neat to see that that's the path they've slowly you know, gravitated towards. So they've tried a lot of different yeah. things, but at present, basketball seems to be the, the favorite for all three of them. So it's, it, it is neat because now that provides a nice bonding experience you know, uh, for us, you know, as a father, I'm, I'm very thankful for that as well. I love that. Yeah, I can, I can relate myself. I have a seven year old and a three and a half year old. She's not into basketball yet, but that's the way my mm -hmm. son started to go to. And, uh, you know, it's like, you, I, same, same, same idea. We've exposed him to a lot, but basketball also is his first, I don't know. Have you tried dribble up? Do you use dribble up with the kids? Is, is dribble, is that yeah, yellow I, basketball? The, no, what's, yeah, what's it's the up? yellow basketball. Yeah, the dribble. Yeah, dribble, the dribble up. Okay, this is for connected to an app. iPad, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty cool. For anyone listening, you should check it out if you've got kids. Like they've got a soccer version of it too. But oh, I got to tell you, like I see, he liked to start doing it because it's like anything that's like a game. It has like a green circle that tracks the ball. Like yeah. he loves it, you know. And so it's really it's helped him with his handles. So that's awesome. It's a pretty cool app. 
pretty cool app. Your kids are probably advanced past that, but I think for the early stage kids, it's probably helpful. So, no, so as you're sure. growing up, basketball, basketball is the thing. What, like, do you, I mean, any clue why, like any, any clue why basketball was like, you know what I mean? Like, do you have any memories early on or, you know, was your, your parents, you know, were they big into basketball? Like, why do you think like, or how, how did basketball become it for you? I think a huge influence was, I mean, so I'm, I'm 45 years old, so born in 1976, so fall in love with the game in the early 80s, you know, when I first started playing, but didn't really get into it, you know, until probably elementary school, which, of course, timing-wise means that's kind of when uh, Michael Jordan began, and, and you know, his yeah. rookie year in 1986, and, and I think, like, most of the rest of the country, if not the world, you know, Michael Jordan made basketball uh just the coolest thing in the world. And, and I know that absolutely had an influence over me. Um, I know as far as the game itself, um, I, to many people's surprise, I'm actually very heavily introverted. Like I enjoy solitude. I enjoy alone time. Um, I enjoy stillness. I like being, you know, I love being around people. I'm, I love people and I'm not antisocial by any means, but being around people wears me out and exhausts me. And, and in order to refill my bucket, uh, I actually like solitude. And that was one of the things I always loved about the game of basketball, that I could just take my my ball and my water bottle and ride my bike down to the park, and I could just play outside by myself for hours on end. You know, when I got a little older, my, my parents put a basket in our driveway in the front yard, and I yep. would just be out there with my boom box playing some old school hip hop, and I would just be out there for hours with no one but myself, um, and, and the reason I say basketball is it's one of the only team sports that you can work on the, the major skill sets and you don't need anybody else. I mean, you can work on your handle and you can work on your, your shooting and your offensive moves with just you, a hoop and a ball where for the most part, soccer, football, baseball, volleyball, it helps to have someone else there to throw, to catch, to, yeah. you know, to do those types of things. So there was something about the game of basketball that I loved that in pure isolation, I could just go out and work on my game, but then I could take everything that I worked on and get together with my team or get together with my neighbors uh, and, and, and play and then be able to kind of demonstrate everything that I had worked on. So I actually thought basketball was was perfectly suited for that kind of dichotomy of me needing some alone time, but then love being a part of something right. and being part of a team. And you combine that with, yeah, you know, Michael Jordan making it cool. And you combine that with, um, I picked up the game fairly quick as a youngster and, and was decent at it. And, and I think that's one of the heaviest motivators uh, for any young person is doing something that you're pretty good at and you can see yourself and feel yourself getting better. So I, I love that a coach would give me, uh, as you were just mentioning with your kids, a coach would give me a ball handling drill and then that entire week I'd go practice it and work on it for hours. And then the next time I saw them, we both noticed there was drastic improvement and there was something very, very addicting about that. So uh, I think in hindsight, I didn't realize any of that at the time. Uh, those are all contributing factors to why basketball won out. Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah, that's really because I know that you were, you, know, you were into a lot of different sports. And then obviously, so you play in high school. What were I mean, what what was high school like? Were you a you know, straight A student? Uh, like what was high school like uh, for uh, you? No, I was more of a B level student. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it was one of those ones where um, if it was a subject I was interested in, or if it was a teacher that was really engaging and that I liked, yeah, 
I would get A's with no problem. Uh, if it wasn't, <laughs> then it was always a, a struggle and, and, you know, maybe getting a B or a C. Uh, you know, when I look at my academic uh, career, if you would call it that, I never loved that portion of school. You know, certainly I love the sports. I love relationships with my friends. You know, I liked the, the you know, the, the, uh, the, just the social aspect of it, but never loved school, to be honest with you, which of course is interesting, as we've already said, with both of my parents being educators. Uh, but even though I didn't yeah. love it, I certainly had a respect for it and understood the importance of it. Um, but, but even at a young age, you know, I was questioning everything. And I remember vividly having talks with my parents about when am I ever going to use this stuff? Like, when am I ever going to use half of the things that I was learning? And, I think you know, about that for my kids, too. I don't know if you think about that now, too, for your kids. Like, you know, um, yeah, your kids are just a little bit older than mine. I'm like, you know, especially at your kid's age, I'm like, when are they going to teach them how to Google stuff? Like, yeah. shouldn't that be a class of, like, <laughs> how to find answers on, on Google and YouTube? Yeah, you know, well, like, like, real practical skills. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if if we were gonna, it would take an entirely separate podcast episode for me to share um, my thoughts on the current school curriculums and what's being taught. <laughs> we won't go down that rabbit hole, but I mean, I, I do. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, 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 I respect that there is a process to learning, and, and I understand that even if, of course, the, the subject matter that you're learning might not be something that you will actually use in the future. But the process of learning and understanding how to study and understanding exactly. how to prepare, uh, that stuff is important. So I, I don't by any means want to make it sound like, you know, everything in that, that realm is, is not positive. But no, I just no, no, no. Yeah, we don't. Go I ahead. felt the same way. I remember, I remember when I got my, I got my MBA later in life and um, I, uh, I was taking the GMAT. And I remember one of the questions, just to get your MBA, it was how do you like how do you plot like the circumference of a circle using like this triangle on the XY axis? Yeah. Like what? Like what? How am I? I think that's, I, yeah, that's why I like math. Like certain parts of like once I got to a certain level of math, I'm like this is just silly. Like why? Like this this yeah. is a skill. But you're right. There is that that struggle through it or that ability to buckle down. It's kind of a gear that you that school tends to teach you for sure. So, so then, so you get into Elon, I mean, Elon's a, I mean, Elon's a good school. I mean, my, actually my cousin went to Elon too. Um, uh, and went into, I think she went acting maybe. I know there's a lot of acting, right? Elon does it a lot of people go in for a theater. Uh, yeah, I believe they have a theater department. I'm not, to be honest, I'm not yeah, sure. Now, now I think, yeah, now I think it's a, I think it's a thing. Um, so you go to Elon, right? So not too far from home. Um, and you're able to play basketball. So what was like that, the selection like, you know, how did you pick Elon? Obviously basketball is kind of a passion. Um, you know, what was the, the reasoning there? Well, Elon was a division two program uh, at the time when I went, they ended up switching over to division one during my junior year. Um, so, uh, for one, it was division two was a good level for me. I mean, uh, there was a chance I could have played it maybe a low level division one program, but I probably right. would not have gotten much playing time. So, uh, from a, from a basketball and playing time standpoint, it was perfect. It had a beautiful campus. Um, it was a smaller school at the time. There was about 3,500 undergrad. Um, and, and I actually liked that. You know, I, I was a little bit intimidated about going to a larger school like a University of Maryland or a Penn State, you know, where you're talking about tens of thousands of students. So I liked that it was smaller. Um, I liked that it provided a nice buffer, that it was four and a half hours from my home in DC, 
which was just far enough that I felt independent and had some autonomy to be on my own. But I also had the comfort and security of knowing I was close enough that, you know, that, that I could be home in four and a half hours if I needed to be, or if my parents needed to come, to come get me or come save me from something. Um, so it was just far enough, <laughs> but just close enough. And, uh, yeah, I think if you combine all of that stuff, uh, it was a great fit. And I really loved my time at Elon and, uh, I'm very thankful and I'm so proud of, how the, the school, which is now a university, it was Elon College when I went. It's now Elon yeah. University and then went from Division Two to Division One. So uh, I'm really a proud alum and, and really proud of how much Elon's grown and, and gained in notoriety. I mean, it is it is an incredibly reputable school now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, and your, your degree is sports management. So obviously, again, obviously you're playing basketball. It's, you know, sports management is the, the major. What, like, what were your plans? Like, what were you thinking kind of coming out of school uh, that the dream would be? Well, well, like most college age kids or rather high school age kids going into college, I had no idea what I wanted to do specifically. So I figured because my parents loved what they did, uh, I would just be a teacher and a coach. I mean, I knew I loved the game of basketball. And uh, so I actually started at Elon as an uh, as an elementary ed major, um, but got about midway through and just realized I was not very passionate about the teaching part. I love the basketball part, <laughs> didn't love the teaching right. part. So that was when I made the switch to sport management, uh, which ended up working out perfectly because the sport management major uh, combined uh, business classes with exercise phys classes. So it, it ended up laying the perfect foundation for what I would eventually do when I graduated, which was become a basketball performance coach, or at the time it was basketball strength and conditioning coach. Um, so I, I just switched my major because that major allowed for most of my elementary ed credits to transfer, uh, but in hindsight had no idea um, that it was actually the perfect major for me because I ended up being a self-employed basketball performance coach for almost 20 years. So that mix of business class and exercise phys classes just, just worked out perfectly. So uh, once again, very grateful that the stars kind of aligned for me. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. And so let's talk about like those kind of like early years outside where, you know, again, it's kind of interesting, right? I think, you know, I talked to different people where, you know, it's like their parents were entrepreneurs. And so they saw it firsthand or, you know, they had different, an uncle or something. Whereas with you, you know, you had two parents, they're both, you know, elementary school teachers that, you know, that was their, their path. And, um, like what for you, I mean, gave you the ability again, like, and, you know, you had done some personal training and then you went to uh, elite athlete training systems, right? And started to really kind of go down the path, your co-owner. So, you know, what was that thought process like for you to go from, you know, school to really being, you know, an entrepreneur and going into business for yourself? Well, if we take it back a step, I remember... Um, early in high school, uh, my dad had a friend that was a phys ed teacher and, and one of the classes that he taught was weight training. And, and I remember, um, being as a youngster, especially in middle school and high school, being so obsessed with being able to dunk the basketball, which at six one was doable, but certainly not an easy feat. You know, if you're, if you're six nine, dunking pretty much comes automatic, but at six one, you've got to earn it and you've got to work for it, especially since I have 
very average athletic ability, but I remember being obsessed with that. And, and I remember everything that I ever heard or read talked about, well, in order to jump higher, you have to strengthen the muscles of your body, primarily of your legs and hips and calves and core. So I remember asking my dad's friend for some kind of advice on strengthening. And we got one of those old school Joe Weider uh, sets where, you know, it's, it's like the sand filled, uh, sand filled, um, plates that would go on the barbell and, you know, bench press and squat and so forth. And down in my dad's workshop in our basement, I had a little area set up for me to start lifting weights and started doing that around ninth grade um, and, and was just fascinated by that. You know, I, I would buy the muscle and fitness magazine from the local 7-Eleven and I would read it religiously, <laughs> you know, uh, later to find out that the training that bodybuilders do is not the best route different. to take as a basketball player. But nevertheless, I was hooked on getting myself stronger, you know, like a lot of kids that play basketball in high school, I was rail thin, you know, I, I've been the same height since eighth grade. So picture in ninth grade, I was probably uh, six, one, 140 pounds. I mean, rail you're like a forward thin. then at that yeah. point, you're for, like a forward. Yeah. And, and, and wanted to be able to gain weight and be able to put on some muscle. And um, that's what started like the seed planted for that. And, and I always realized too, um, just intrinsically that, it's important to be in really good physical shape for the game of basketball, that your conditioning level has a lot to do with how effective you'll be on the court. And I always realized that, you know, every yeah. year for tryouts, uh, showing up in the best shape of my life was up to me and, and not up to anybody else. And I took a lot of pride in that. And after my junior year of high school, uh, I actually met a, a, a trainer here in the DC area that was an assistant strength coach with the Redskins. And he owned a small local gym near where I lived. Um, and I went in and, and started training with him and he, he just changed my entire mindset on how to train properly. He changed my perspective, but most importantly, he gave me a love for strength and conditioning and training. And that's where I think that initial seed was planted. So, um, I started getting certifications, you know, when I was in college, started doing my own kind of personal training on the side in and around classes and basketball. There was a local Gold's gym there. So that was kind of when the seed was planted. So when I graduated, uh, from Elon, there was no question that I wanted right. to be a basketball performance coach. And that's what, what started me down that path. And if you look at the timing of it, this is in the late nineties, you know, 98, 99. Um, and this, you know, at that time, less than a third of NBA teams even had a strength and conditioning consultant, wow. which is, which is completely different than what we see today, where every single organization has an entire performance department you know, not just a strength coach, they have an entire department, you know, with 30 or 40 people employed uh, to improve, you know, their players' performance and so forth. So the industry's really grown immensely since then. Um, so I was really trying to navigate uncharted waters, you know, in the late 90s and early 2000s, um, but realized that I wanted to be in the strength and conditioning field. I wanted to specialize in basketball. And then the third pillar was I wanted to focus mostly at the youth and high school age because um, that was the age that I felt I could make the biggest impact and the biggest difference both on and off the court and in and out of the weight room. And that's kind of where that, that career was born from. And I, I did that for almost 20 years before making this leap over to the corporate keynote speaking world. Yeah, that's wild, man. Yeah, I have to ask one question. And then, because I, I don't know if you remember these shoes. Do you remember these shoes in the 90s, those jump shoes? They were like, the, shoes. like the, the straight, you know what I'm talking about? It had like the extra, 
thing in the yep. what were they called? You know what I'm talking shoes. about? They were called strength the strength shoes. shoes. Yeah, they were they were all yeah. white and they had almost like exactly um, yes, like the shape of an iron was in the front. Under exactly. the <laughs> That's exactly oh, yeah, what I, it was. Yeah, I had those and 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 wore them religiously. You know, uh, my senior year of high school and uh, yeah, it 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 did make an improvement. Uh, later, I would find out that there was nothing magical about the shoes. <laughs> the exor- doing exercises with the shoes on simply made your calves and your legs stronger. So you, right, you could exactly. have had the same result in a much safer manner doing more traditional training methods. But yeah, uh, I, I bought into, I mean, and I'll, I can call them now gimmicks with a smile, but any yeah, gimmick or gadget that I thought could improve my vertical jump, I was 100% all in to, to give it a try. I was the same. Yeah, I trust me. I can imagine. I was. I I can resonate because I was the exact same way. So so, how did you? I mean, let's let's kind of go through like you know to the point where you know obviously then you start the podcast too in 2013. But you know that 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 kind of ten year period where you're doing that right. You, your kids are born. You're going out on your own again. You're still continuing to go out on your own. And like you said, this wasn't the most popular thing. You know, like so. You know, again, like, you know, you were probably in what sales too, right? Like you're going out and saying, Hey, this is why you need to do it. Or, or how are you, you know, developing business? And, you know, what are some takeaways you have is, you know, those first kind of like 10 years of, of going out on your own? Well, yeah, the first 10 years, a lot of it was simply being able to, to create the market and convince folks that, that strength and conditioning was a necessity for basketball players, you know, for the most part in the late nineties and early two thousands, the only sport that really bought into lifting weights was football. And that's those two things have always been somewhat synonymous. So a good portion of it was simply, you know, trying to dispel the myths that basketball players shouldn't strength train. And, you know, I, I had a really nice business kind of on the side of, individual players that would come in. Uh, but then I was able to start working at Montrose Christian um, in 2003, uh, which is where Kevin Durant ended up graduating from and numerous other players that are in the NBA. Yeah, lots of guys but but I got latched on to a really, really good high school program uh, with a brilliant high school coach, got to work with you know elite level players, many of which would end up in the NBA and almost all of which ended up playing major division one basketball. Um, and, and that also was a huge help. Uh, one of the things again, that I think I just somehow knew intuitively was that I was in the relationship business that, yeah, my, my craft was improving someone's performance, helping them jump higher, bulletproof their body. But in essence, I was in the relationship business and I learned very quickly that if I could earn the trust and the buy-in and the believe in of the players I was working with, they would give me a better effort. And they would show more focus consistently. And I knew that if they would do those things, then as long as I'm laying out at, at least a halfway decent training program, they would start to make progress. So uh, I really took a lot of pride in building the relationships of the players I was working with, building relationships with local coaches, building relationships with anyone and everyone on the fringe of youth basketball uh, that could help champion my cause and, and help me grow my business. And uh you know, I, I didn't do that with any type of hidden agenda. Still to this day, even as a keynote speaker, I consider myself in the relationship business. So I've yeah. always put a massive priority on building relationships. Um, and ultimately, if you're in sales, I mean, I speak to tons of sales organizations. Sales is all about relationships. Sales is all about earning trust and solving problems and being of service to others and, you know, doing what's best for them, not what's best for yourself. And I've just always had that mentality uh, and that was always what was modeled and, and mentored for me. So I've had some really good people in my life. And and once again, just add that to the list of things I'm very grateful for. 
how did you, I mean, and, and then, I mean, as we kind of like talk a little bit about, you know, kind of the, I guess maybe pivot, right? Which is this idea of working with businesses, right? Or, 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 or not just, you know, again, like you, you have this passion for basketball, you're working, you're doing, I mean, what sounds like, you know, and not sounds like is something that, you know, you enjoy and you love and you're making an impact. You know, what was the moment where you realized the crossover, right? Because you hadn't been in that world, right? You had, I mean, you've been building your own business, so you've been in it, but you hadn't worked in the corporate world of a big company. And like, what was it for you? Like, what was the kind of the aha moment for you about just man, how, how transferable those skills are? Well, the first aha moment, we would go back because a seed, again, once again, a seed was planted without me knowing it. And um, I don't remember the exact year. It was in the late 2000s, so maybe 2009, 2010, somewhere in that ballpark. But I was uh, working, um, the NBA Players Association had a top 100 camp uh, where the NBA basically funded a camp for the top 100 high school players in the country. And uh, it was really a, a renowned camp. And I was working as the performance coach there and they brought in a keynote speaker, a motivational speaker, a guy named Walter Bond, uh, who's still a very renowned corporate keynote speaker to this day. And here he is yep. talking to a uh, hundred of the best high school kids in the country, 20 to 25 former NBA players, 20 to 25 elite high school coaches. And we're all sitting here listening to this guy. And I mean, collectively as a room, he made us laugh. He made us cry. He made us think. He was a brilliant storyteller. You know, he, he took us on an emotional ride during that hour. And I remember sitting there thinking, and I can, I mean, viscerally, even the, the hairs on my neck are standing up right now because I remember this. It was, it was so palpable. I remember sitting there thinking, man, I want to do that one day. This guy is an absolute rock star. The way he is making me feel right now is amazing. And I want to do that one day because I want to make people feel that way. And I just kind of planted that nugget unconsciously because I didn't want to change what I was doing. I loved right. being a basketball performance coach. I loved being in the gym. I loved being in the weight room, loved working with players. But that was always in the back of my mind that that was going to be something I would pursue one day. Well, then you fast forward about a decade and I started to find myself uh, in the initial stages of feeling burnt out on the training aspect that I just didn't love being in the gym and I didn't love being in the weight room near as much as I had, you know, years previously. And yeah. I had such a strong respect for the game, such a strong respect for players, such a strong respect for coaches that I just knew it wasn't fair to them. But most importantly, it was not fair to myself to be doing something that I wasn't all in for. And, and when I started to look at my work as more of a chore and more of a job and less of a passion or something that filled my bucket, I just knew it was time to make a change. And rather quickly, I kind of connected those two dots and say, now is the time for me to, to pursue this motivational thing, uh, speaking thing. Um, and I just figured uh, everything that I had been learning, I just knew there had to be some utility to what was going on in the business world, even though, as you said so insightfully, that was not a world I had been in. Um, I just knew this type of thing would transfer. I mean, uh, for one, I knew Walter Bond was making a living doing it. So, we, you know, I kind of had a case study, um, but I was ready to make that change. And, you know, the cool part is uh, I still, to this day, very much consider myself a performance coach. You know, um, I just... That, that's just manifested as a keynote speaker and as an author. I mean, my job is to help people change their behavior, to improve their habits and their mindset and their discipline. So whether they're trying to improve themselves as a parent or they're trying to improve themselves as an executive, 
the principles don't change. I mean, whether you're trying to be elite in any area of your life, those principles uh, with the highest utility don't change. So um, it was a pretty seamless transition. I mean, it, 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 it well, how'd you get your first yeah. clients? Because for me, I don't know. I mean, for me, it, like it sounds, I mean, for you, obviously, again, you built a network, but it sounds kind of scary too of like, I'm going to change. I've been, I have this network and it's like you said, relationships, like, like what was the first clients like, or did you kind of have some like soft pull already that made you feel a little bit, I don't know, less afraid? Well, I, I actually leaned on that basketball community immediately and basically said, look, you know, I, I have loved serving you all for the last two decades. I am immensely appreciative of your support and your loyalty, but it's time for me to leave the gym and leave the weight room and leave the court and do something else. If any of you, uh, uh, you know, and when I'm saying any of you, keep in mind when we look at the timeline, you know, this is now kind of in the thick of when social media started. So, uh, you know, when I first started training, you know, I mean, this is even pre MySpace days, there, there was no really interconnectivity. Like if you weren't working with someone in person or you, they weren't in the general area, you most likely could not have a huge impact on them. Um, and then social media started to change that. And I was definitely an early adopter of that. So when I decided to make this change, you know, I, I had a, a, a very loyal uh, following on social and was able to reach out to them as well as my personal Rolodex of contacts and say, look, I've enjoyed serving you in the basketball community. I personally am ready for a change. If you know of anyone or you have any relationships with people in this corporate space, uh, any introduction or endorsement or referral would be beyond appreciated. And uh, because I had invested so much in those previous relationships, a lot of people came to bat and a lot of people teed up introductions or said, hey, you know, I've got a friend who works at this company or I know someone that's a meeting planner. So I, I was able to at least, um, you know, start with a little bit of a running start. And, and then my own approach was, you know, that first year, I mean, probably two thirds of the engagements I did were for free. I mean, they were pro bono. I was just looking to get some reps, uh, looking to work on my craft, working on my content. Um, so it was, I basically followed the same template for building my speaking business that I followed when I first graduated Elon to build my training business, which is invest in relationships, uh, work on serve, being of service to other people, and then do a great job anytime you get an opportunity. And, and I'm an incredibly simple guy. Uh, I do not have a vast business knowledge. Uh, I rely on the basics. I rely on the fundamentals. You know, I believe if, if you have something of value to offer someone else and, and you're of service to other people and you're of high character and you genuinely care about the work that you're doing and the people you work with and you do a really good job when you have an opportunity, you just stick to those things and, and you will attract new business. And uh, thankfully, that's, that's worked out fairly well so far. Yeah. And what, have you went back and watched some of those first tapes ever? Have you ever went watch oh, the game absolutely. film? Yeah. And, and, and one thing that I, I neglected to mention, but is an important piece of this. Well, two things. One, for anyone listening, if you're kind of following the journey, uh, I've always been self-employed. So I've never really worked a regular job or worked for someone else outside of a couple of little, you know, side jobs I had when I was, was in high school. So it was less scary for me to go from self-employed strength and conditioning coach to self-employed keynote speaker. I have tremendous empathy and compassion for someone that spends 20 years working for a set salary and benefits at, at company X and then decides to leave that to then go completely out on their own. Like those, that's apples and oranges. So I didn't do that, you know, so, so that part made it, uh, made it a little bit easier was, was just being able to ultimately just pivot. Cause I've, I've always been able to, to just kind of survive on my own. So for that, you know, that wasn't, 
that wasn't that big of a deal. Um, so I was never really scared or worried about that. And, and I've also never prioritized the financial component of any of this, you know, and that again goes back to my parents, you know, they, they weren't motivated by money to teach. They were motivated by the craft and, you know, now don't get me wrong. You know, I, I work really hard. I, I, I'm a capitalist at heart. I want to make really good money so I can be financially free and provide for my children. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's never been my primary motivator. You know, I got into training because I loved basketball and I loved performance work and I loved basketball players and pouring into them. I got into speaking for the same reasons. I love the craft of it. I love being able to help businesses and sales professionals and people in HR and executives, you know, get better at their jobs. So I've always kind of just let my heart lead. And then I, I've always believed that if you get really good at what you do, regardless of your industry, the money will find you. The opportunities will find you. Those things will just simply start to come out of the woodwork. Um, but the other thing that I didn't mention was for the last decade, even in the basketball training space, I started to moonlight by speaking at basketball clinics around the country. So the other thing to keep in mind was when I, I left basketball to go into keynote speaking, it's not like that was going to be the first time I was on stage or the first time I'd ever clipped on a microphone. I, I felt very comfortable being up in front of large groups of people and speaking my truth and speaking things I was passionate about. So that's the other thing. Once again, if someone is going from working just a normal job, even if it's in sales, to then saying, I want to be a keynote speaker, that's a bigger leap. So I didn't really look at it as making a huge leap for me. I just looked at it as kind of a slight pivot, as you said perfectly, um, still doing something very similar, just doing it in a new way and with a new audience. Well, yeah. And I think as you kind of like hear it and hear for people listening, you know, think about that journey. It's about all these little, little small things going to speak at this clinic or that clinic that at the time, and I, my, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, you weren't like, this is going to prepare me to be a key, like do an amazing keynote five years from now. It's like, I know this is going to help me, you know, like speak. And I think too many people, you know, it's like these little opportunities that as they come taking them, and then by the time, then once you want to go do that, new opportunities, you know, kind of present themselves. And you're already at that level. When again, to your point, when you've got that service mindset of, you know, I'm here to help, I want to add value, and you're looking for those opportunities, then I feel like kind of the universe or, or things just align. Oh, most certainly. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's one of the fundamental principles that I live my life on is to star where you are. So wherever, wherever your feet are planted, do the best job that you can do, be of the most service that you can be, uh, get as good at your craft as you can be. And doing so will then open up new doors and new opportunities for you. And, and, uh, yeah. So like I said, I, I live my life by a, a very small handful of basic tenets and principles. And, um, yeah, so far that's, that's, that's gone well. well. Star, but, you know, star it, where you are. That is going to be the name are. of the episode. I've already awesome. got it in my head. I'm like, star where you are. That's definitely it. So you Perfect. write the book 2019, Raise Your Game. So for any of you who haven't read it, we'll link to it in the show notes as well, too. Um, what do you like? What like what was your hope for the book? You know, when you wrote the book, a lot of a lot of people who want to get into speaking, obviously, they write the book as well, too. It's like a, a common kind of path. But what for mm -hmm. you is like the reason you know behind the book? And, and what did you hope people took away from it? There were three reasons that I wrote the book. The first was simply it was a professional bucket list item. You know, I, I was such a I had so much admiration and respect for authors, and I could think of a handful of books 
that had a profound impact on my life. I mean, someone that I never actually met in person could write something that changed my perspective on life. And very similar to my thought of Walter Bond going, I kind of want to do that one day. I knew that as I was reading some of these impactful books, I thought to myself, man, I would like to do that one day. I would like to write something that I hope would be helpful and impactful to someone else. Uh, the second reason I wrote it was, and I wrote it early in that transition into speaking, was it forced me to get crystal clear and organize my content, my message. You know, uh, some of my early keynotes, you know, the, the passion was there, the love was there, but the flow and the organization was definitely not. It was kind of this random collage of stuff that I would share on stage. And it wasn't very sequential. It wasn't very progressive. Didn't really have a, 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 a an official start and stop. It was just kind of like, hey, here's a bunch of stuff I want to share. And writing the book forced me to really get a hold and, and understand and master uh, my content. And then the third reason that I wrote the book was um, I believe that it would lead to speaking engagement, that, sure. that, that there was a portion of people that would read the book and go, wow, we like this message. I wonder if you'll deliver this to our team. Um, and to this day, outside of the, the leads that my agent generates, and she does a phenomenal job, uh, my book is probably my number one source of uh, speaking referrals and inquiries. So um, it checked all three of those boxes. And I actually enjoyed the process. You know, I, I had a co-author write the book with me because uh, I still to this day don't consider myself an author. I consider myself a coach who had enough to say to put in a book. Um, but I teamed up with my buddy, John, who's a phenomenal writer. Like that is his craft. And he helped me, you know, organize the thoughts and so forth. So um, yeah, I enjoyed the process of writing a book, which is why I've written another one. So it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great process and I enjoyed it. And thankfully it did all three of those things that I had hoped. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about the latest book and let's talk about kind of what's next for you. So I think hopefully, I mean, look, as people are listening to this, I think they immediately get, you know, hopefully they kind of see the, the, the lessons around, you know, mindset, discipline, etc. So I think no matter what line of work you're in and you're listening to this, I think, you know, what you can take away here is this concept of, and I think even for people maybe listening to of maybe you have a different passion or maybe there's a different path. I think sometimes we get so locked into like the skill set we have, right? Which is like, well, I'm a strength coach. It's like, no, like what are the other things that are the skill sets? And so hopefully people listening are going to hear that and think, wow, actually I do have other skills and I do have other things that I'm actually really good at. Or by doing these little things on the side, I'm now ready to do something big for myself. And so I think this has been a great conversation. And so what, you know, talk, let's talk about the, the book and, you know, like what's new and exciting and next for you. So the premise of Raise Your Game was what are the things we can do to reach optimal performance in any area of our life, sport, business, or anything in between. Uh, my new book, which will be out April 12th of 2022, is called Sustain Your Game. And it's how do you maintain and sustain optimal performance for long periods of time uh, without getting burnt out, you know, without hitting that plateau and feeling stagnant? And how do you manage stress uh, and still love what you're doing? You know, to me, there's very few things that are as remarkable as someone that has consistently performed at a high level for multiple decades. And I'm incredibly impressed and have tremendous admiration for someone that's been in the same field or, or working on the same craft for 20 or 30 years and loves it every bit as much today, if not more, than they did when they first started. And, you know, obvious sports examples. You've got LeBron James and Tom Brady, uh, two of the greatest all-time at their craft, and both of them are pushing two decades 
of playing at the highest level, which it's kind of like dog years. You know, playing in the NBA for 20 years is like working a normal job for 70 years. I mean, it is, it's just unheard of. So, you know, uh, and, and you can see that with someone like Warren Buffett or someone, you know, like Oprah Winfrey or, or Jay-Z or, or anyone that's been at these high levels for long periods of time. And this book really kind of breaks down the strategies and principles of, sustaining optimal performance for long periods of time. So that's been something I've been working on for a while, uh, primarily during the pandemic and will be out April 12th of, of this next year. Awesome. And is there a link or a pre, a pre-order or a, a sign up that people can get notified? Yeah, they can actually pre-order it on Amazon. Just type in sustain your game, Alan Stein Jr. We'll on Amazon. And, uh, yeah, you can, uh, you can pre-order it now. Obviously it won't ship until April 12th. So anyone <laughs> no, that buys good, it this man. early must be a, a loyal fan. So I hey, we're going to, we're going to see if we can move some pre-orders here. I think I'll, I'll be one it. of them. Uh, oh, I think awesome. this, and it's such a, I think it's, it's such a, a timely topic to Alan where, <clears throat> you know, because of people being locked in their homes, I think that sustaining becomes a very, um, lonely experience right and i think it's it can't, yeah. times if you're share it's a shared experience you know maybe it's a it can be everyone but but i think this idea of sustaining momentum staying through and, and seeing things through i feel like it's a it's a it's a timely it's a timely lesson and a timely i, I think it. reminder you know for for a lot of folks so so again for anyone you know looking to talk to alan we'll put a link um you know again i think hopefully this gives everyone a really strong idea of you know, who he is as an individual and human and, and just experiences that I think are going to be applicable to anybody. And so I'm definitely looking forward to the next book here, Alan, and I uh, really appreciate you, you know, carving out the time to talk to our, our audience today, uh, for sure. Oh, likewise, Jake, this was a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. And we will see you again next week on the Jake Dunlap Show. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to another extremely fun and interesting episode. I thought it was fun and interesting, so I hope you did too, of the Jake Dunlap Show. Uh, Really great just breaking down everything that makes people who they are, the success, the trials and errors. And I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite platform and make sure more than anything to go over to jakedunlap.com. That's where you're going to stay up to date on all the latest guests, additional details, prep notes. We're going to be sharing everything on jakedunlap.com. So go ahead, go over there. You can subscribe there as well too. And we will see you next week on the Jake Dunlap Show.